whatever's being discussed in the organization or the health system, wherever, I think there, a nurse has to be at every table and bring that perspective to that decision, to that discussion, whether it's with the finance person or quality person or engineering or, you know, anything. A nurse's perspective is huge when we're talking about healthcare. Oh, I gotta go. I've been working, so them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid all my fees. I was starving for this game. Now my fan they can't eat. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses Show. Here with your hosts, Peter and Matt, two nurses on a mission to change this world one conversation at a time if you find a value on the show and want to join us on this mission please share and review the show it would mean absolutely everything to us cupofnurses.com for the latest updates merch releases and all the show notes for our lifestyle podcast you can check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com in this episode we would like to introduce you to dr terry ann parnell dr terry ann parnell is a nurse a recognized health literacy expert and an award-winning author. She's a principal and founder of TAP Wellness Coaching and Health Literacy Partners. Her extensive nursing career incorporates hospitals and health system management, administrative and leadership roles, as well as faculty roles in schools of nursing, medicine, and healthcare administration. Hey, Terry, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for your time. Can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me, actually. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, this is always the toughest part of podcasts because I have uh, over 40 years um, in the nursing career, so um, I'll keep it very brief. But essentially, I was a diploma graduate back in the day when they had diploma schools, um, and then and I went to school in Greenwich Village, New York. Um, so it was a very interesting introduction to nursing, working um, in that environment. And then um, over the years, um, I did bedside nursing. I was a clinician and then obviously worked my way up, you know, through always changing my, my career. Um, I was a manager, a director, and then I went into the leadership side of it, um, away from the bedside was helping to run, you know, a tertiary hospital, quaternary hospital, actually, um, in the C-suite. I was a associate executive director. And then after a few years doing that, I went out to a, a vice president role in a integrated, very large integrated healthcare system. So I had a system role where you worked with, you know, 17, 18 hospitals, ambulatory facilities, physician practices, um, and then launched a new office with a physician colleague of mine. And then, gosh, then I decided what am I going to do now when I grow up? And I decided to leave and launch my first business, which was Health Literacy Partners, which was always my passion, um, health literacy, communication, you know, making, meeting people where they're at to provide their health care and did that. And um, all along the way, prevention, wellness, clear communication, um, has always been my thread that I've pulled through everything that I've done and for myself personally and in my career. Um, and then once, just around when COVID hit, I decided 
to finally do what kind of was always a hobby for me and launch my wellness coaching program specifically for healthcare professionals only and designed only for healthcare professionals. You know, and then along the way, I, even though I was a diploma graduate, I went along, I, I ended up getting my doctorate um, in nursing practice. I became a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing. I've written a couple of books, book chapters. You know, I publish, went on mission trips. It's a lot of, I've taught in different schools, nursing schools, healthcare administration programs, physician programs. It's a little bit of everything. That's the amazing thing about nursing, actually. You can pivot every few years, as you well know, and uh, do something new and interesting. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's amazing wide variety of experience that you have. And you're a great example of how you can pivot in nursing whenever you feel like you have outgrown your current role or need a time yeah. for a change. So with your vast experience in leadership and being a director and vice president of a business, what do you think that nurses and healthcare professionals are currently lacking or needing in the profession? Well, you know, it's um, it's really hard now. I don't what they're lacking. I don't I don't know that nurses are lacking anything. I think um, healthcare has changed dramatically. Obviously, um, as we all are living and experiencing, I think um, nurses um, inherently the nursing profession. People go into it because they're caring, and they want to care for others, and they're empathetic and compassionate. And um, the issue with that or the double-edged sword is that they never take care of themselves, right? So it's a blessing and it's a curse. Um, they're always caring for other people and they tend not to put their priorities first. So I think nurses, if I had to you know, pick something, I think we need to build up resilience you know, and set boundaries and practice saying no and um, build community and find those that we can go to for support, um, you know, when we're, we're having a challenge, you know, at work, um, I think community is, and culture at, at work is huge. Um, you know, so all those things um, are really important in finding that work-life balance, right? Um, and as far as the, the career, I think the healthcare organizations are experiencing that now, you know, in New York, finally, um, but they need to um, give nurses the resources that they need to, you know, have safe patient nurse ratios and have, you know, provide safe quality care and not feel like they're, you know, burning the candle on all ends. Um, so, you know, good benefits, pay for, you know, give them a salary that's appropriate for what they're doing. Um, maybe flex better hours, flex time. You know, we all don't have to fit in the same bucket always of 12 hour shifts years ago that was never a thing um you worked five days a week but you worked like 10 hours every day um which was no good which you know wasn't well serving either so i think there has to be agility more agility on the side of the healthcare organization you know but we're getting there i think we're i think i'm optimistic i think um unfortunately you need to go through a little of the rough patch to get to the the other side yeah, of course. And Terry, since you have a vast experience in bedside and leadership positions, how do the roles and responsibilities change from bedside to a leadership role? And how do you or how did you manage to meet the needs of both 
nurses and lower management underneath you while still maintaining the goals of your higher ups? Yeah, it, it's a challenge and each situation is different. I think, first of all, working with a team, right, who um, gets it and um, is really important. It's, and it, my theory was always um, if I'm whatever I'm looking at and whatever situation we were working on, if I always looked at it through the what was best for the patient and the family, I felt like I could never go wrong, right? Um, so that was first and foremost. And then in order to do that, we had to support our healthcare professionals, right? Um, because then that wouldn't be in the best interest of the patient. So it's hard, it's challenging. It's not an easy role. You know, you your budgets are getting cut constantly. Um, you know, you have to do more with less and you have to make some difficult decisions. But again, I'm gonna, I think going back to, you know, the culture of the organization, transparency, and including the bedside clinicians, not just nurses, all of them, um, at the table when decisions are being made is key. You know, they have, they're, they're living it. They're in, you know, deep in the weeds there. And if they're part of the process and understand all sides of what you're dealing with as that administrator, um, you know, you can come to a collaborative decision and give it, I, I was a big one on um, everything's a trial. Let's give it a try for a little bit, see how it works. And, you know, we have to change, we'll, we'll pivot and change. But I think including them in the plan and the process and the thinking um, is key. A little bit ago, you mentioned agility to change as far as mm -hmm. organizations. Can you can we identify these organizations that need improvement in agility? Is it the associations for nurses? Is it more the the hospital organizations that need to kind of collaboratively work together with healthcare professionals to maybe pour into as far as resources into nurses or pour into patient safe ratios to protect the nurses? Yeah, I'm not as familiar with the resources that, um, you know, nursing associations or organizations have available to them. So I really couldn't speak to that. I know it's challenging, you know, in healthcare organizations and systems. And sometimes um, the larger they are, there, there may be a few a few hospitals or a few entities in that system that really are carrying the, the weight of the entire system because some just do better financially than others. You know, some um, organizations, you, you have um, a facility you might have that may not be financially um, doing well, but it's really important for the mission of the organization. So another hospital or ambulatory setting in that system, right, may be kind of carrying that facility financially. So it's, it's a, you have to look at the big picture, look at the vision, you know, look at the resources and take it from there. But it is sometimes moving. It's like turning the Titanic, right? It moves very slowly um, because it's so large. So um, I, th I think it's just trying new things, thinking out of the box, taking out a, sometimes would say a clean white piece of paper and let's start, like, let's just take a totally different approach to it, to what we're looking at. I mean, you have to, how do other industries do things? You know, we could adapt from that. I mean, healthcare has done that all along. So I, I think um, that's a good way to look at the, res the existing resources that you have and how can you utilize them a little differently.
from like a yeah from like a business yeah. and healthcare perspective what are some of the major struggles that the hospitals have is it the budgeting is it retention is it bringing on physicians is it retaining patients from from like the you could say the healthcare and and business view of things because as nurses all we really focus on is is a unit satisfaction making sure that we're taken care of, but we don't really always think about the, the bigger picture and and the healthcare giant and, and, and a hospital system as a giant. So I'm curious on, on what are some things that the hospital in general struggle with? So I haven't been in a hospital setting in many years. So I, you know, I can't talk to it other than what I hear. I have family, you know, that are um, many family members that are still in healthcare. Um, and of course, clients that speak with me. And from what I read, you know, um, I, I think that again, it just, it's, it, there are a lot of struggles. Um, you know, it's kind of goes back to what I, I had said. It's just, um, what they're struggling with is reimbursement. It's length of stay. It's that all the patients that are in the hospital are much, um, they're sick, right? They're, I mean, anyone who's not really sick or not in a hospital any longer, um, you know, so their reimbursements are being cut. The, the nurses tend to not want to be, it seems to me, be at the bedside any longer for the reasons that we spoke about um, as far as staffing and resources and maybe scheduling. Um, you know, so it, it's extremely challenging. I'm not, I haven't been in that situation, you know, for years now, um, but it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, it, at the end of the day, it's a business, you know, they have to keep the lights on and they have to pay em employees. So, you know, it would be nice if you didn't have to do that and always just focus on the patient, but it's finding that balance, right? And that that harmony, so to speak, with doing the right thing for the patient and staff and then being able to keep the shop open, so to speak. And did you mention you also are a huge advocate for communication? You mentioned communication yeah. and work culture, correct? Yeah, well, um, my first business was Health Literacy Partners, um, which is, yeah, health literacy was is huge to me. It's very important. So that's um, verbal communication, written communication, and also environmental communication. So it's, you know, how patients access care, how they... Um, you know, when you talk with a patient, how that information is communicated, it's the information that they receive as far as printed materials, it's signage in the building or in the parking garage, it's how the facility is laid out. I mean, it touches on everything. It touches culture, you know, um, patients' cultural preferences, language preferences. Um, so, yeah, so I did, I still do that as well. Um, but right now my main focus is the, um, wellness of the healthcare professionals, because, um, I think nursing is the best career there is. Um, I think we're so blessed to be able to be in it. And, um, I think that the nurses, especially the nurses, all the healthcare professionals really are, are suffering now. So I just wanted to, I kind I pivoted again, just to try to give back to the nursing community. But yeah, the communication is a big part of that too, right? If you can't communicate, you can't coach people. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, pivoted into wellness because we need to fill our own cups as nurses. We talk yeah. about it all the time, not only from a mental standpoint, but from a physical and the whole mind-body approach. So 
in your wellness journey, I think there's five pillars that you mentioned, something about TAP. Can you mm -hmm. talk about those? Yeah, but, you know, um, wellness isn't just about the food we eat, you know, which people, you know, always tend to focus on. And when I was doing research, um, I did not see any um, wellness coaching programs that were specifically geared toward the unique uh, work-life balance or, you know, harmony that nurses and healthcare professionals deal with. So um, the five pillars that I pulled together were that holistic approach. So it's about enjoying food. Um, it's moving more, sleeping soundly, building resilience, which is a huge part of it, and practicing self-care. So they're all integrated. Um, it's a 12-week program. We have group coaching, um, small group coaching, and then we also do one-to-one -one coaching. It's all virtual. You know, the other thing, um, I mean, we, it's virtual because of where we are today, right, in the world. But on the other hand, you know, nurses um, in facilities, they may have chief wellness offices or chief, chief people offices, different roles that are there for the staff. But often the staff doesn't always feel comfortable opening up to someone at their own organization about you know, a struggle that they're dealing with either personally or at work. Um, so I felt that having it virtual yet, you know, we, we have Zoom calls and we build community with like-minded people to support them who really get what they're going through and how hard it is, right? You know, it's, it's really challenging. So those are the five pillars that we integrate throughout the 12 weeks. And then in addition to that, we have an app. Um, like many other apps that send daily messages to people's phones, inspirational, educational, motivational messages. The difference with this is that all the messages are geared towards a healthcare professional. You know, so if we're talking about um, sleep, we're talking about shift work. You know, if we're talking about eating lunch, we realize that nurses in many units may only get 15 minutes for lunch, you know, if that. Um, so, you know, we, it's very specific to the healthcare professional's needs. With the, with the five pillars, is there one that nurses and healthcare professionals struggle with the most, or maybe one that needs the the most improvement for healthcare professionals? Yeah, you know it's interesting. Every everyone always asks me that, and um, in my experience, um, I love food, you know, and I love cook, make like changing up recipes and experimenting. So I'm always like interested in that. But um, honestly, um, it seems to be sleep. You know, I think, and, you know, they say, you know, sleep is so important. I mean, uh, the research that's out now, it's like sleeping is like one of the, if you sleep less than seven or eight hours a night, um, I don't know the exact site, but, uh, citation, but it's almost, uh, it's like a risk factor for heart disease. It's like, you know, we really need to, to sleep. <laughs> Um, and it's so important and it impacts all the other pillars and it tends to be a struggle, even for people that are on the day shift. I think it's the 12 hour shifts they find, um, they've shared that, um, one night they'll sleep five hours or four hours. And then another, the next night they're sleeping 10 or 12 hours. And that, you know, um, that no routine whatsoever really messes with everything else. It messes with your eating, right? Um, they're wanting to move or not move that day. Um, so it's sleep, I would say, is um, the one in my experience working with the clients. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that was definitely, I want to say, our biggest inconsistency too. Because, man, I used to work, work night shift a lot. And when you work yeah. nights, 
everything is out of whack. Your circadian rhythm is all messed up. You know, you're going to sleep yes. and everyone's waking up. And then, then it's like the then it's like tra constant transition from working night. Then when you're off of work, you got transition back to being a normal, normal person, like a normal schedule. And you never have consistent sleep ever. And and if it is consistent, it's still you're sleeping during the day. Sleeping during the day is not as it's not as like you can say fulfilling as it is during during the night. And then you like you become like a night person where you do start doing laundry at like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning because yes. you can't fall asleep. You're doing dishes at three o'clock in the morning, cooking right. food. And you're just like you're just like what is going on? And it's like it's doable in in early on when you're a new nurse. But then I'm thinking like, hey, if I'm gonna be 35, 40, 45 years old, like, is this gonna, am I gonna be able to maintain this? Cause you have a little bit more resilience when you're, when you're younger, but then, you know, when you start to get older, you start to get worn out more. And it's just, it just affects the whole, your whole life. You become cranky, you're never satisfied. Right, and then you tend to, you know, you don't, you're exhausted all the time. You can't think clearly. You crave food that you shouldn't be eating or comfort food, you know, that makes you, you know, wanna just lay around more, you don't, exercise which I, I know is you know i see is important to you guys it is it's, it's really it affects everything and then imagine having a family on top of that you know so many nurses have families that or you know parents they need to care for or children that they need to get to school and they can't even even if they could sleep during the day you know they they can't they have to be available for their family um during the day for certain things so it is it's it's very challenging and, you know, on top of that, it's that, you know, one night on, two, uh, two nights off, back on, that back and forth is just really messes with your circadian rhythm. So so what yeah. are some some recommendations or what are some things that nurses or anybody struggling with, with sleep could, could do today to kind of better some better themselves? Is it try to get on a day shift schedule? Is this something um, revolving around routines before bed or sleeping practices? How can they, they improve themselves? Yeah, so it's, it's individual and we work, you know, with each, even though the pro in a group program, we move through the pillars kind of together each person's goals and action steps are individual. And we do do, we have calls to go over that and set people up for success. So, you know, I would say for some, it depends on the person, but for some suggestions would be to, yes, certainly um, set a sleep routine, so to speak, um, you know, before you're ready to go to sleep, it sends signals to your body that you're starting to wind down. So whatever that might be, um, you know, uh, we always talk about all the things you shouldn't be doing, right? You know, don't have caffeine, don't have alcohol, don't eat, you know, a large meal before going to sleep. So I try to shift it into all the things we can do, right? Instead of talking about the things we shouldn't do. So, you know, if you have a cup of chamomile tea or you have um, some foods that help induce sleep or promote sleep, like some nuts or, um, you know, have a small snack a little while before you're ready to go to bed, have a routine shower, you know, whatever that is for you, a warm shower, a bath, meditate, um, do some stretching, uh, you know, set your room up for success, right? You want it to be dark. If you have the, that never, it was certain things like that. You know, it's individual for me, the, those blackout curtains and all that stuff never really worked. You know, for other people, it works like they're like in a cave. They love it a cool temperature, you know, treat yourself to some nice bedding, um, you know, put on um, a diffuser in your room with some lavender or chamomile, uh, you know, every person's different, but those are some of the things that we work, but it's 
The key, I think, really, though, is the finding those one or two things that you want to start to implement um, and then being consistent with it, right? If you um, don't aren't consistent, your body will never get into that rhythm. Um, and when you're alternating shifts, it's important to have a separate day shift sleep routine, right? And a evening or a night shift sleep routine, right? They're going to be different. If you're going to go back and forth off, which most people do, I know people will say, stay on, stay on the night shift, even on your days off. But, you know, I think that's not really reasonable for many people to do that um, when the world is going on about you and your home. Um, so we always say to, you know, try to keep those different routines separate, but have a routine for each shift that you get accustomed to doing. And it sends a signal to your body to start to slow down, wind down. Um, and you know what helps, helps a lot of people is after they get off that night shift in the morning, you know, of course, don't have a cup of coffee on the way home. Don't stop and eat a large meal. Um, wear like sunglasses though, like especially if it's bright in the morning when you come home, just to not get that bright light that you know, signals to your body to, to wake up, right? <laughs> um, so kind of wear dark sunglasses and kind of keep your activities to a minimum, you know, before trying to, if you're going to head off to sleep right when you get home. That works great. So not that, easy. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm yeah. just kind of, I'm laughing when you say do things lightly before the night routines, because sometimes Peter and I will hit a heavy workout before we go to bed, yeah, and, but, we just, but then we just knock out like babies. So I love how you said it's very individualized as far it as is. what it works is. for everybody. It does. So you have to look at, assess, you know, or take a look at what they're currently doing, what's working and what's not. And then together co-create those goals or those um, action steps that they're willing, you know, to start implementing and that they can implement with everything else that they have going on in their life. Yeah. But it's funny. Some of the uh, people I've worked with are like, Oh my gosh, I've been trying to do this for years and I'm finally sleep. I haven't slept like this. You know, it's so nice to hear when someone's able to do it. And then the key is maintaining that right. And not slipping back into the old habits again. Right. That's so true. And I know for the yeah. past two years, burnout and overcoming that has been a huge struggle for many nurses in your program or in general in your experience what are some self-care practices that nurses could partake in or some favorites have you noticed that have, that has worked very great for nurses yeah i mean i think the again and very individual for people um you know someone will say oh i want to go walk along the beach and another person will be like oh I almost drowned when I was a kid. I hate the beach. I get nervous by the water, you know? So it's like, they like looking at the mountains. So everyone is a little different, but I think the most important thing is scheduling that self-care activity, right? I mean, like it's anything else that we would schedule, that's a priority. Um, so making sure whether it's a hobby that someone's picking up, whether it's exercise that they enjoy um, for self-care because they find it's good for their body and their mind, um, reading a book, uh, watching a movie, you know, going for a walk, going out in nature, everyone is different, but the key is to really schedule it and prioritize it and not let that, the thing that goes off your, off your list. And, you know, again, there's certain things you can do, um, if you start it in the morning, if you can, you know, on a day that you're off, you get it in, you know, and all the other things that get in the way don't, um, that tends to be the one thing that a person will let go, right? Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. I don't have to do that. 
So it's scheduling it. Um, the resilience part, I think, is tough for, for nurses, honestly. And they, they're all like interrelated. So what someone might do for resilience might also feed their self-care cup, right? Or fill that cup as well. But um, the resilience is, um, you know, setting those boundaries, right? At work and at home, which then would help with your self-care, so to speak. And I love how you mentioned resilience because these past two years have been struggling with resilience and overcoming all the hurdles that the healthcare system has burdened us with, especially mm -hmm. the the workload. So, you know, we could have resilience physically, but I think it's very important for nurses to have mental resilience. And one of them is just having the mindset of overcoming your shifts or overcoming the obstacles, maybe eliminating the negative self-talk that plays out, or this is going to be difficult. This is never going to get better because I feel like that negative self-talk, especially collectively on a unit culture, which I'm sure you could talk about is going to affect not only the nurse, which is providing the care, which could be you, but also it's like a cancer in the body that stays there. That's affecting the whole culture that affects and uh, ultimately makes us less resilient to overcome a shift, right? Right. I mean, less resilient in life, right? It kind of, it, so resilience, I mean, it's not, it's not just for when you're at work, right? If you're not, if you don't have that resilience and those skills, that creeps into your personal life too, because it's not like a switch that goes on and off. It kind of follows you everywhere, right? Um, so I think um, it's really important, the narrative that, you know, that self-talk that you, you know, just mentioned is key. Um, and it's so, it, it, that's exactly what happens in a unit, right? It's like, you know, it's almost like after you take an exam back in the day, you know, and you didn't know about one answer and you come out and you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I got that right. And you hear someone saying, oh, this is the choice. And, and then other people start, and it's, everyone's talking and none of those are the choices that you had put and you get that feeling and you say, oh, I'm just going to walk away from this, right? Instead of chiming in and piling on. Um, it's the same type of thing. Um, so I think nurses really have to try to, as best they can, um, change that narrative. And we talk about that, you know, in the program, um, because it becomes a habit and it's like a tape that just plays over and over. So change that narrative, have more positive self-talk, set boundaries, for yourself personally at work and you know professionally say no more if you need to especially now you know with the them needing uh the hospitals needing nurses at the bedside they'll you know wave that uh carrot in front of you of you know that extra bonus or you know time and a half or we'll you know we'll throw in a 500 dollars bonus or you know it's I've said so many times to so many, you know, people, my in my family and client, you know, comes a point where it's not worth your health, right? Your mental health, your physical health. So it's really setting those boundaries and um, trying to find that work-life harmony, I like to call, because I don't believe in balance, honestly. I think you have to figure out, each of us has to figure out a way to live in a harmonious way that works for us, but it's not balanced because you can't balance your work and what we're doing as nurses and our home. There's no balance there. So I, I don't believe in that notion, but yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good, uh, really good term work life, life harmony, because one of the, 
one of the biggest things that, that we see for nurses that reach out to us like for help and guidance is a lot of them have an issue with, uh, it's, a, it's an issue with them bringing the emotions they experience at work, bringing, bringing that home and uh, almost like having like self-sabotaging behaviors, like just, just, mm-hmm. just feeling, you know, sad and, and bad for people outside the workplace because they, it's hard for them to separate their work life from their their the reality their their own life own life at home. So, what kind of a guidance um, can you give those those uh, those nurses or healthcare professionals? Yeah, I mean that's it's a challenge. Again, it's like a learned behavior, right? Um, so, trying not to do that is important. I think um, there again, it's going. I'm going to say again, it's individual, but I think one thing that is so helpful is um, when you leave work have some sort of a routine. So, I mean, some people I've even suggested bringing, I mean, this may sound funny to some people or a little weird, but bringing, um, you know, sweatpants or some comfy um, clothes that you would normally like get into at home. Like if you're kind of winding down, going to put on a movie or something. And before you leave work, change into those comfy clothes or bring a pair of comfy slipper, something that like, just associates you with being at home, being comfortable, winding down, whether you have that, if you have that drive home, obviously, if you're taking public transportation, that's a little different, but you know, get when you, before you leave the hospital, it kind of separates, right? Your work from your home. I'm getting into my comfy sweats. I'm putting on my comfortable, you know, flip-flops um, and, you know, I'm, I'm already winding down. I'm not thinking about work. I'm making that distinction. So, I mean, that's something that, people have done that find they find it very helpful that they shift into that different mode um getting on the phone talking about you know the patient or what happened I mean it's good to debrief when necessary of course but not to constantly be thinking about it as you're laying there trying to go to sleep right you know did I give that med oh I think I gave that med or did I you know whatever is playing back in your head it's done it's over um, you know, that's a little different than debriefing from something that may have occurred in the unit that you should talk about and then done with it. Yeah. But it is. So another, yeah. another big thing, especially for like newer nurses is, is yeah. self-confidence and building confidence. So how can you, um, mm-hmm. and like, how can you make yourself more confident and how can maybe I help somebody build their own confidence? Yeah, I think for a new nurse, it's got to be so challenging, right, today? I mean, I think of the nurses that came out during COVID, you know, and started just working in that environment, you know, kudos to to them. I think that um, finding um, one or two people in their unit or um, if they're working, you know, at the bedside in a unit, that they feel comfortable going to like almost like a mentor or, you know, a colleague for again, for, to talk to, to reach out to, they feel comfortable is key. It, it doesn't have to be a lot of people. It could be one person that, you know, they could go to to ask a question or find support. I think it's important. Um, and building, taking the time to really think about finding that mentor, so to speak, um, is huge. And I always found that um, I always had mentors um, for things that I admired, right, or that I would strive for, or like you'd say, oh, I'd love to be able to do that one day in my career. But I also had mentors that I'd say, that's a behavior I never want to do, 
right? So I I had mentors kind of on both sides of it, so to speak, um, where I say, I definitely don't want to lead nurses like that person or, and then others that I did admire what they did and wanted to be like them. Um, so I think a new nurse can start parsing out you know, the people that they feel connected to, that they could learn from, that they can get support from, that they can vent to is key. And for us as nurses, um, you know, being there to support, I mean, it's being, you know, non-judgmental and open and kind, kindness, right? I mean, uh, that's kind of gone by the wayside sometimes. Uh, so yeah, just being human, right? And uh, just being a kind, open, um, accepting person, I think is... Uh, is, is key and inviting them you know if you're getting a coffee break and there's a new nurse I mean as a traveler you deal with this right I mean you're constantly going into a new situation it's so challenging you're kind of on that other side where you probably don't know the staff um you don't know the environment you don't know the codes to the bedroom and you know all these it's hard you know so um having that some person that smiles at you that you feel that you could approach and ask a question is key. Okay. And I'm going to add on to that point. I love the wisdom that we're sharing here is to, to get, become more self-confident as a new grad is be your own cheerleader. So just like you are your own worst critic, you have to give your own hype, even though you might be looking for it from a preceptor, from somebody else in the unit, how about we fill our own cup as well in that aspect where after a shift, after something you did, what if you reflect on the great things that you did for your patients, reflect on how awesome your shift was, give yourself a pat on the back because you're going to create a compound effect instead of giving yourself your own worst critic or judging yourself how shitty it was. You're going to start reprogramming that language and saying how awesome my shift was to so start gaining confidence in other things that you're uncomfortable with as a healthcare professional. Yeah, it goes back to the changing the narrative of what you focus on, right? And what you say to yourself. So it's all it's all interrelated. It's all a part of that. Yeah, for sure. If we're in a perfect scenario and maybe budgets weren't a thing and finances, what are things that you would love to implement in healthcare if you had the ability to? Oh gosh. <laughs> the magic wand question, huh? <laughs> you know, I think um for patients and communities, I think access for care is like so important. I don't think, you know, everybody doesn't have access to quality, affordable health care, which I think is key. So, I mean, I think access for patients would be number one. For staff, I think, um, yeah, I think we need to give nurses a seat at the table, at every table. You know, whatever's being discussed in the organization or the health system, wherever, I think um, a, there, a nurse has to be at every table and bring that perspective to that decision, to that discussion, um, whether it's with the finance person or the quality person or engineering or, you know, anything. Um, a nurse's perspective is huge when we're talking about healthcare. So they need a seat at every single table. That that would be, if I could pick one thing, um, that would be that. And with, with TAP, you mentioned it's a, it's like a, it's a 12 week, 12 weeks of, of like coaching and all, all that kind of stuff is, can you give us a little bit of insight on what to expect? Is it, 
every day is, is a different step? Do you have the five pillars and five different sessions or, or how does that, that, uh, that work? What could someone expect if they decide to do some of your, some of your coaching and get some of your insight? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to share that. So initially, um, if in the group program, um, when the person signs up, they'll, they'll get a invitation to download the tap app. Um, which is available, you know, on uh, Google Play or the um, Apple Store. Um, and people can go on there, by the way, and just do like a five-day trial for free of the app. Um, the coaching is much more than the app, of course. Well, um, so they'll sign up, download the TAP app, and then uh, fill out their intake form. And then we do a one-on-one -on -one call to set up their goals for uh, what success would look like for them at the end of the program and what they should what they'd like to focus on for the next two weeks. We move through the program. The first two weeks are setting people up, getting kind of assessing where they're at in each pillar, assessing their home and personal, um, you know, kind of stage where they are. And then we go through each pillar for two weeks. But it doesn't mean that the person that's in the program um, focuses only on their goal for that pillar, we move the person through as however they need. I believe each person should always start with their weakest pillar, right? Because they'll be able to get gain success a lot easier that way. And then that builds motivation. So that's always a suggestion, but we do what people want. So someone wants to start with sleep, but maybe our first two pillar that we focus on is food, that's okay. So we're working on sleep with them, but they're also learning and getting education about food. And we take them through um, every two weeks on the in the group program, we have a live Zoom call with the others in the group. So they build community. They can also communicate with each other in the TAP app, in the community side of the program to share recipes and stuff. They can direct message me. The real purpose of the app is for them to communicate with me directly. So at any point of the time, they can send me a DM and I can respond to them. They're going out to dinner, they're overwhelmed. They, they don't know what they wanna eat or what would be a better choice for them. If it's along their goal, You know, they can send me a message or they're trying to go to sleep and they have a question. They don't have to wait. They can just DM me and I'll get back to them. So that's the main purpose of the app. But then each day, they will get a little message from TAP in the app, focusing on whatever pillow we're on. And that changes. We do weekly check-ins through the app. Um, we have other calls if needed, if they need an extra resource. Um, lots of times the resources that they request are for, um, you know, maybe a, a meditation or a mantra that they want to try before they go to sleep or a recipe um, they're looking for. Um, because they're cooking for their family and they want a special recipe. So I'll, I'll research that and send over a recipe collection. Um, yeah, so we move through as a group. And then um, at the end, yeah, and as we're going through those weeks with the pillars, we also incorporate the resilience and the self-care. Those are themes that are carried throughout because it's, it's as I said, it's all interrelated. Yeah, so that's that's the, the program as a whole. And um, it's really sad to see, actually, I got a message uh, last night from someone who was just in the program, you know, missing you, loved you. We have a, a, a weekly newsletter that goes out, um, an email essentially that focuses on different parts of the program. So I get a lot of messages from the people who still get the, 
the weekly newsletters. If anyone wants to sign up, it's Tuesdays with TAP. So every Tuesday they get a short little email about one of the pillars. Um, but it's nice because that prompts them and then, then they send me a little message. So we stay connected. It's again, building community, right? Being there for people. And the one-to-one the -one program is essentially the same type of program, but much more intense, bespoke. Um, you know, we schedule the calls. We do weekly calls instead of every two weeks. And um, obviously it's scheduled around what works for that person. Um, and we do a, a bit of a deeper dive there as to their needs. Some people don't feel comfortable in a group setting, sharing personal, more personal information or behaviors and prefer that one-to-one -one where they can really dive deep and spend the entire hour talking about them and not having to listen to other people. So everyone's different. And what, Go ahead. What's the website link? Uh, it's tapwellnesscoaching.com. Is there anything that... It's good. No, it's just say Instagram as well. It's all, all the same. Is there anything that, that, surprised, that surprised you working with, with healthcare professionals, maybe... Um, for example, some wild goals that, that they had, or maybe you realized how determined to change healthcare professionals were. Anything surprised you with working with healthcare professionals? Um, surprise, not really. I mean, I think I was a little, I again, I guess just because maybe I was, maybe I had a little bias, but I thought it was going to be mostly food. Everyone's always talking about food, you know, intermittent fasting and you know, who's vegan, who's doing paleo, you know, so um, I thought that would be in the beginning. And as I said, it was, it's tends to be sleep, but um, hydration is a challenge for the nurses. Um, when the, so I think that was one thing, but I think the if I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think um, the lack of understanding of like when we spend that first week looking at each pillar for each person and kind of looking at their, and we give them, you know, suggestions of how to do that. Um, I think them not even taking the time to realize that they're sleeping five hours one night and 10 or 12 the next, that they go for nine or 10 hours without eating or drinking or going to the, I mean, like they don't even take, um, they're not even noticing, you know, what really they're doing. Um, and I think that was the biggest, if I had to pick something, is the um, not being aware of how all those things impact how they're feeling. And then they're like, oh, no wonder why. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that, you know? And it so also, I, I, yeah. I was just gonna say, it yeah. makes sense because looking at our educational yeah. system in nursing school, it's always oh. about, patient first, patient first. And again, we're never filling up our own cup again. And you have nurses that go six, seven hours at the beginning of the shift without taking a single sip or even emptying out their bladder. So it's a recurrent theme. But then they find that too, that they'll say, you know, and then the day, first day off, right at home, they have all these things they want to do and they just sleep, they crash, right? Sleep for 12 hours. And then if they can, you know, um, so it's that, you know, up and down and it's, you know, as, as one person said, often, no wonder I'm feeling so crappy, you know, uh, of course, if you look at it and you write it down and you see it, it's like, oh yeah, makes perfect sense. And we're in the field of caring for people, you know, because it's so, uh, it's kind of ironic, right? 
And one last question we'd like to ask all of our guests. If you had the opportunity to have a cup of coffee with anybody one last time, who would it be and why? Uh, that's easy for me. That would be my dad. My dad passed away. Actually, next March will be 15 years. So um, he was the person I always um, spoke to about all my goals. You know, I want to write a book by time, um, whatever, 40 or 50. I want to be a fan. I want to. And he'd be like, uh-huh, you know, that's great, you know, and encourage me. Um, and he wasn't around to see any of it. So, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm sure he's watching down, but yeah, he'd be the person I'd love to catch up the last 15 years with. That, that would be amazing. Yeah, it sounds like he was an amazing support system. Uh, yeah. Terry, uh, where can people find you if they want to get some more information or seek some some help or some coaching? Um, you can go to tapwellnesscoaching.com. Email me at info at tapwellnesscoaching.com. I'm on Instagram, same same tap wellness coaching and and facebook as i said uh lots of we post to every single day on instagram lots of tips um for free and lots of available resources if anyone's interested and we have a next group coaching is starting um i think it's march 6th is the next group coaching program if anyone's interested you know and i'm, I'm trying i'd love to also work with healthcare organizations right to help the nurses that they're employing Imagine when you sign on, you get some coaching, right? As part of your uh, recruitment efforts. That'd be an orientation. So hopefully that will come to fruition soon. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good idea. Man, I had uh, has idea of, of uh, goals. One of your pillars, the, the movement one is, is like, how nice would it be for you to have like a discount for a gym membership or a discount for spa access just so, and that just shows you that like your employer really cares about you because he's giving a discount for, for, for you, not not just some like random stuff. Like it, it go far away because some people just just maybe can't afford it or maybe they need a little bit of a push in the right direction. And that'll go a long way, like a little discount, like you said, like somebody that that got to mentor them or, or coach them or just have somebody there that they could speak to freely in, in an open environment just so they could they could express their feeling because sometimes it's hard to to come home and maybe talk to your spouse about it that doesn't work in the medical field or the healthcare industry and it's and it's different you need somebody that has a little bit of a, of a background a little bit of understanding of, of what you're going through yeah no i i agree i think that would be a wonderful thing for as part of orientation to you know provide that extra support for new nurses coming into a facility for a couple months or even as um you know, a, a perk for people who have been there a long time for retention um, to give that to, you know, they have clinical ladders and all these things that they give. Who needs another duffel bag or a water bottle, right? You, you know, something like this would, um, the costs would certainly, um, the benefits certainly out, outweigh the cost for that, for that organization. So we'll see. <laughs> to be continued. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Terry. Just want to acknowledge you for the awesome knowledge that you shared with us the five pillars about resilience communication thank you for sharing your expertise with the nurses and anybody listening and hope to see you again yes likewise and enjoy your, your time in thailand it was a pleasure talking with you thank, thank you. you really appreciate it